to Afafoda Shore News Beacon Production. This call is now being recorded. And here we are with another episode of Two on the Phone. Um, I have today my guest, Tom Sherman. Tom, can you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Thanks a lot for having me, Dave. Um, let's see. My name's Tom Sherman, and uh, let's see. Currently, I'm the uh, director of a local nonprofit uh, organization called Mooncat Comedy Club. Um, I've also spent the past uh, about five years now uh, working uh, on a project where I've uh, recently reinvented time and discovered the fifth season of the year. Um, and that's a, those are the main things that I do right now. I, uh, I used to be a news anchor at, at a radio station around here and a tour guide at a brewery. So that's a, that's about that, I'd, I'd say. So, um, you know, as much as comedy is funny and I'd like to start off with that, let's start talking about the fifth season. <laughs> right now, nice. right now I could, I could really use another season other than this um, hot, cold, hot, cold. Well, that you know, good news for you. Um, spring started yesterday, March 4th, or what you call March 4th, um, according to my calculations. So uh, basically the, the, the theory behind this, this whole thing is um, 365 only has two base factors, 5 and 73. So... Uh, Every other way people have been trying to divide the year for ever since time was invented is just flawed or miscalculated. Um, so like right now with the four seasons, uh, winter is 90 days, like spring is 91 days or 92 days and, uh, summer's 92 days and then fall is 91 days. So, you know, there's no consistency between units that filters down throughout the year, you know, February has 28 days, March has uh, 31, so on and so forth. Um, so, so yeah, uh, having to come to grips with the fact that the year can only break down into five and 73, I, uh, I took five 73 day units, lined them up starting on the winter solstice. And uh, it actually breaks down into a pretty nice, um, nice trend. So winter, the first season would start on the winter solstice, December 21st. That lasts until March 3rd. And then spring starts on March 4th. And that lasts until May 15th. Summer begins May 16th and runs through July 27th. And then autumn is the uh, fifth season. It's in between summer and fall. It's kind of like the inverse of spring where you're going to have a second growing season. Your, you know, watermelon, corn, late season crops are coming in, uh, migrations and, uh, annual, uh, patterns like that, uh, start to reverse where, you know, you'll see the birds flying south and, um, all that sort of stuff. So anyways, uh, autumn is from July 28th until October 8th and then fall is, uh, October 9th till December 20th. Nice. So I, I have to ask. So were you just sitting there one day and you said, this doesn't make sense and I need to figure out why or, you know, what, what brought you to this conclusion of uh, making a, a new calendar and new season? Yeah. Um, 
it's that, that's basically pretty spot on um is so i mean it really if if i had to trace it back to its its full roots it would probably be in sixth grade when i learned about the gregorian calendar system in history class and i started joking around with my teacher you know who you know i whenever i would turn in assignments late or something like that i would say you know who's who's Pope Gregory to tell me what time it is? You know he lived in the 1500s. You know what, what is this? And so that's where it kind of got started. And then uh, later on, when I was in college, I um, I decided I wanted to become an inventor. And so I started keeping notes on and and sketches and and that sort of stuff on a bunch of different projects and ideas and all that. And uh, time time was one of them because like you're saying, it's just so nonsensical and it made such little sense to me and was so confusing. I was like, I got to figure out why, you know, why this doesn't work. And, um, I was, it's frustrating to throw away a wall calendar every year, especially when I write important dates like birthdays on it and stuff that I want to keep doing or remembering at the same time. Um, and, you know, even when you have a whiteboard where you divide it up into, you know, a nice even grid, you still have to erase the dates every month and rewrite the dates. And it's just madness. And uh, and so that's that's kind of what took me down the rabbit hole and, um, you know, started researching time, researching the calendar, fleshing out the different problems with it and uh, and then how to correct them. Um so that's that's kind of how how it all came to be, and then the real uh, so you know I've been working on this for a few years, and I'd come to the conclusion that 365 was only divisible by five and 73, but those aren't really good numbers to work with. You know, you can't right. um, divide 73 down evenly or five, and so I discarded that and was trying to divide the year by two and four and all these other ways that, you know, people, people have been doing. And, uh, and then it came to a head when I, uh, I actually missed a, a bill payment. I, I, um, for like the millionth time, it was, uh, it was actually at, uh, M&T bank up there in Milton. I had, uh, I, I'd, I'd accidentally overdrawn on my checking account and they sent me a letter that said, you have, like nine days to, to, you know, correct this or we're going to charge you again. And I showed up on the ninth day. I gave them their, the cash and they said, Oh no, sorry. You know, we were talking about business days or something like that. And so they, uh, or we weren't talking about, you know, we were including weekend days. I forget what, but they double charged me. And I, I just, I had had it. And so I went home, I took my wall calendar off the wall and I just started writing one through 73 five times. And, uh, just to, just to try to see, you know, how the calendar would break down into these, these units. And, uh, it was, it was kind of amazing because, you know, when winter ended on the, the, uh, fourth or the third of March, I was like, you know, that kind of makes sense. It's you see buds coming out and it's almost spring. And then when spring ended on May 15th, I was like, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I already assumed summer starts by that time. And then uh 
what really got me was the 37th day of the third period. So the exact middle day of the middle period of the year falls on the summer solstice. And I was like, oh, man, this actually makes sense as a, a, a unit, you know, at, like keeping time makes sense if we let it, you know, it, but what right. we've been doing is just kind of misdividing it and, and parceling it. The, uh, the, I guess the thing that, uh, you know, I'm curious about, uh, I'm assuming, you know, I, I've seen your posts and things like that, and you're trying to get this out more and more, but what is the acceptance really going to be? Yeah. I mean, uh, that's a, that's a good point. I, I, uh, I've been showing this to a few, uh, scientists throughout the country, um, uh, professors at universities and stuff like that. And that's normally the first thing they always say is, you know, people aren't going to change calendars. And that's, that's a fair point. And, um, I'm not really expecting society to, <laughs> to change calendar systems, uh, you know, easily or within, you know, my lifetime or even a hundred years or 200 years. But, um, really, I think the applications of the system are boundless because, uh, it's time, but it's a proper accounting of time. So, so let me, let me try to explain it like this. Basically, if you think of the calendar as a ruler, right now, the Gregorian ruler is all messed up because a foot is, you know, 12 inches one time, 11 inches the next time, 13 inches the time after that. There's so, no consistency. Yeah. And so when you're trying to annu- um, analyze data or compare data or anything, you can't do it month to month or even year over year because days of the week are constantly changing. So what you can do with the this new calendar system is you can properly divide the year, measure, track, coordinate data so that you can establish a resonance with your own activities to to magnify, you know, the amplitude of your of your actions. Um so the real applications aren't necessarily within getting everybody to buy a wall calendar, which is the posts you're seeing is is like a little wall calendar thing that I made up for friends and family uh over the holidays and now I've you know, just kind of seeing where that goes as far as there's a little website out there and you know, people can buy one if they want, but um the real the real value is gonna be taking the underlying system behind that wall calendar and applying it to um to to business processes, to systems, to uh you know, analyzing data, stuff like that. And so that's that's where I'm I'm kinda turning the focus towards now, um, because I've I've finally sort of gotten this system worked out mentally. So now I'm just trying to create more and more applications for it. It makes sense. Um, you know, I find it interesting, you know, I think there's always been known, you know, we have this, and we'll just say spring since that's the next holiday. We have this set date for spring. Mm-hmm. But if you listen to the weather and every year come March 1st, you know, they immediately say, oh, we've entered meteorological spring. Mm-hmm. So, 
And it's kind of, you know, they're obviously spring is when the weather changes, but I think you're on to something. I mean, obviously that, you know, we're set in our ways and we always call this that, and it's mm-hmm. not necessarily the hundred percent truth, I guess, on this, what I'm trying to say. But, right. Um, so yeah, moving, yeah, moving on from there, um, unless you had some, you know, points to wrap up. But, yeah. Just, just to, just to follow up on that point you made is, um, I, I think it's something like almost 90% of science ends up getting proved wrong at some point. You know, Copernicus had a system until Galileo created his system until Einstein shattered that. So, you know, in, unless we give proper scrutiny to the systems that we use, we're going to be stuck in the past. So that's, that's all I'd have to say to, to wrap that up there. Okay. Um, so let's talk about comedy a little and what you're doing with that. Um, I'm a huge comedy fan back to, you know, some of my favorites of all time are, you know, Carlin and Pryor mm-hmm. and, you know, which were, which were both kind of before my time, but, you know, I, um, I actually got to see Carlin once, um, before he died, which was fantastic. Nice. I saw him in Baltimore and, um, he just, I don't know, there was just something always about him that I just, I guess I related to, you know, um, but, mm-hmm. you know, you're, tell, tell us about the comedy thing you're doing. And uh, also, I'd like to hear your take on where comedy is today, because I think it's much different than it was in the, you know, 60s, 70s, and even mm-hmm. in the early 80s. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, Mooncat Comedy, um, it's a nonprofit organization that I founded a couple years ago. Um Actually, I guess more than a couple now in 2015. And it's a, uh, so yeah, I mean, basically I, I moved out to Delaware around that time and, um, I was, I was kind of shocked that there weren't any comedy open mics because I've lived in Del, or I've lived in Arkansas. I've, I've been all over the country and, and whenever I go places, I've tried to find a local open mic because it's, you know, something fun to do and, and that sort of stuff. And since this area has a really strong local music scene, I just kind of assumed that there would also be some local comedy hand in hand. And um, there wasn't really anything around. So uh, we started an open mic in my uh, in my buddy's garage at the house I was living in at at the time. And uh, we did it for about a year and, you know, just kind of let any everybody who heard about it come out and if they wanted to perform, get up and. Then it got to a point where uh, where we were a little bit a little bit reticent to just let hundreds of people strangers into the house, and uh, so we t- started taking it to bars and stuff. But um, it's been it's been awesome because it's right now there's about twenty to thirty uh, local comics that are seriously good and seriously working on their stuff on. Um, whenever we have a open mic in a show and it's, it's, uh, it's just great because I think comedy is, is, uh, it's good for the comedian, especially for, for local amateurs because, um, it, it helps you get stuff out of your mind and, and into the, you know, into the public view and whether it's a, a weird thought or a funny thought or a, a weird circumstance that happened to you, and then it allows you to 
to express that. And then when the uh, the crowd reacts and laughs and stuff like that, it helps you realize that you're not uh, the only person that thinks this way. You're not the only one having crazy thoughts or um, crazy experiences or that sort of stuff. And then right. on the other end of it, comedy's great for uh, the locals because, um, or for for local audiences because it's a great way to connect with people around you to laugh. I mean, one of the best things to do is laugh with friends or strangers, and you know, it, it's that same sort of process where when you hear someone on stage talking about a thought or a circumstance that happened to you, you're like, oh, wow, I'm not the only person that thinks about these things or, or you know, this stuff happens to. So it's a, it's a great experience to just bring everybody together and, um, and laugh. But then at the same time, you know, not everybody laughs at everything. It's a, it's all, it's a spectrum, of course. But, um, yeah, uh, that, it's it's just been great and and I uh I can't thank the comics that come out enough because that's that's uh they're really holding it down out there. Um as far as my take on comedy now, you know, it's it's interesting. I mean, uh stand-up comedy has definitely been undergoing a resurgence. I know there was one in the 70s and 80s and then it kind of uh waned out a little bit. But now it's it's definitely been coming back. Uh, I hear people attribute it to, like, Netflix and uh, YouTube and that sort of stuff where it's kind of uh, democratized the, your ability to get um, content out. And it's, it's not just necessarily you have to, you know, go to New York City and get a, uh, you know, and grind and then get a half-hour Comedy Central special to, to make it. You know, you can – you can do um do it all sorts of ways so so that it's pretty nice on that front although i will say something i noticed around uh the 2016 more specifically post uh the trump election one of the things that you would hear from la and new york comics was trump's the best thing that's ever happened to comedy and i could not agree with that more i could not agree with that less rather because what it did for around here where you've got a really diverse group of people that show up to shows, you're going to have people across the spectrum. And, and what happens is, you know, people get offended and people, you know, people stop coming if they think that, you know, if you're taking one stance and, and going that way with it and vice versa, you know, and so I don't know. I think the, the state of, of politics has has kind of hurt comedy to a degree but it's also just the general um we just don't have a a good form of of discussion with each other anymore and so it's it's uh, you know it's kind of in fashion to be abrasive and in your face and um you know that can that can turn as as many people off as it turns on and so, you know, that's, that's kind of what I saw in the, in the past couple of years was, you know, if somebody gets up and does a really political set, I mean, they might, they might get really hard laughs from a few members of the audience, but they also risk, you know, angering 
you know, 50 to 60% of the audience. And, um, so, you know, it's, it's a mixed bag right now. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of good things happening in comedy, but then there's a lot of, you know, there's, there's just, yeah, there's just a, a bit of a, I, you know, I don't know. I don't watch the late night talk shows anymore. Let's just put it like that. It, it's a, uh, if you, if you look back, I mean, at the greats, um, you know, the, you know, again, the priors, the, just those mm-hmm. guys, they didn't get up there and talk about politics. Right. You know, Carlin, Carlin did a little bit, but not really. I mean, mm-hmm. it wasn't like, it wasn't like sitting there, you know, pointing fingers, you know, making mm-hmm. fun of people, it, it, you know, making fun of people in general. But mm-hmm. it, it wasn't it wasn't about politics, and right. I like I like my comedy without the politics because yeah we we we're oversaturated with it as it is. It hits you everywhere you go. Every time you turn on the TV, every time you go on Facebook, it hits you in the face every time. And you know what I want to get out of comedy is like you said to laugh for a few minutes and mm-hmm. to hear to hear comically what I'm thinking because a lot of times you know perfect example is, you know, Carlin's hippy dippy weatherman. You know, everybody makes fun of the weatherman. Everybody, you know, you know, makes fun of weather and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And he did, you know, it was exactly what people were always thinking about the weatherman. You know, just kind of somebody getting up there and just saying, well, it's going to be dark tonight. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's, 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 I don't know. It's just, there was something that again, resonated you know, and, you know, my favorite comedian of all time is Robin Williams. And mm. again, Robin made some political jabs and things like that, but he didn't, that isn't, wasn't his whole act. His whole act was laugh at me. I mean, and that's really what it was about. Now, um, these comedy shows, you've been having them at the, uh, Rehoboth Ale House recently. You know, mm-hmm. how many people are coming out for these things? Um, we get about, uh, I'd say we average about 15 to 7, or eh, we average about 15 comics um, that that come out each month. And then, I mean, it's uh, it's I mean, it gets pretty packed in there. I don't, I, I'd say maybe you know, 50 or so uh, uh, audience members or something like that. Right. Um, which isn't bad. Which isn't bad for that venue. I mean, it's no, not huge, it's not small, but it's a it's a nice place. And um, yeah, oh I've man, wanting to get. Yeah, I've been wanting perfect. to get out. I've been wanting to get out there, but it's just like every time it's like I look at this time and I'm like, ten o'clock. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ten o'clock is a little bit late uh, for me as well. But um, you know, they they wanted to do uh, ten o'clock. Actually, we we were doing it at nine thirty, and then at the start of the summer, they they pushed it back to ten o'clock last year, and because uh, they were worried about kids being being in the in the bar during the show which i was right. like you know i mean if if your parents are bringing you to a bar at 9 30 at night i mean you know <laughs> you're probably okay you're probably okay with the comedy part <laughs> right yeah but um but you know it it is what it is and and it's it's kept going strong and actually pushing it back to that point has um has really been nice for some local uh uh service industry folks because they're able to get out of their job, you know, off, off the avenue and then hop over to Rehoboth Ale House and do do a set or catch a show or, you know, kind of relax. So um, 
So it, it works out for what it is, and uh, I'm hoping to have some some more shows lined up in the near future. Um, I'm I'm talking with a uh, Brimminghorn Meadery right now about doing a show. Um, another great, couple, another great place. That's another great place. Oh yeah, I love I love their stuff there, man. They got they uh, you know, Mead is like. <laughs> I don't know what it is in it, but it is strong and it is good. So it's uh and and I also like that they have some that are uh the way he explained it to me, I believe his name's John, the way mm-hmm. he explained it to me, this is our drinkable mead. You know, like <laughs> this is our sippable mead and this is our drinkable mead. And you know, they have some on draft that are, you know, the same as craft. I mean they're in the seven, eight mm-hmm. percent range. Um but it, i I love the, I guess, the mouthfeel kind of of it. You know, you get that mm-hmm. honey saturated in your cheeks and everything, and it's just really good stuff. I've been there a couple times, and uh, I really, you know, it's great that, you know, they've created that because it's, you know, we really don't have anything else like that around here. We have, mm-hmm. you know, quite a few craft breweries, and I kind of wanted to go into that for a second. You said you used to give tours at a brewery. Um, mm-hmm. Are you a craft beer guy or – um, I do like, I mean, I, I like craft beer. I like, uh, I, I prefer stouts. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I, I've definitely gotten more into craft beer, uh, ever since I started, or when I started working, um, at a brewery. Cause I, you know, it was, it was part of the job then. I had to go drink craft beer all around town to, you know, uh, up my, uh, my, my skill set. So yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's, it's a resume maker is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um so it's 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 really good. Uh, I I and it's awesome that um the peninsula is is so you know steeped in in great breweries. I mean from Burley Oak all the way up through um you know Iron Hill and everywhere in between there's there's a, almost every town has a good brewery. It's amazing. So and it's, it, and uh, it is, and and some of the and some of these breweries, um, I feel like they've just kind of sprung up out of nowhere and created mm-hmm. a name for themselves. One that jumps to mind is RAR in Cambridge. You know, right. they they opened in a old pool hall slash bowling alley that you know was you know there wasn't anything else going on in that section of the town, and. They they really have turned it into something. I mean, mm-hmm. they they have these uh, you know can releases that people line up down the street two hours before to get right. cans of these things. Um, you know, and you know even around here, Dewey Beer Company's doing great. Um, mm-hmm. Big Oyster, you know, all right. those. Um, I, I guess my question for you and just your opinion, you know, are we are we going to get to an oversaturation? Are we there yet? Um, breweries, you know, for the most part nationwide they really for a while didn't close up but you know we've had recently as many as we do have um 16 mile closed um Mm -hmm. ocean city brewing closed um Mm -hmm. so you know are we and and both of those i one of those was definitely not related to oversaturation the other one i'm not sure but mm-hmm. what's your what's your thoughts? Are we going to get to an oversaturation of craft brewers, and are are we going to just get to the point where they're still going to open up on every corner? Right. It's um that's you know it's it's probably a little bit of uh, yes and no um because all right so when I started at 
at the brewery, the CEO made a presentation to us. And one of the things he was talking about was um, that we had just crossed the, th- the threshold of the most breweries in America um, since uh, the prohibition. So, right. and, and so that was in 2015 and, you know, craft breweries are still opening, you know, all the time. So what he was saying was that uh, they were, they were expecting the, the bubble to burst at some point sooner or later and that it, it was going to become an oversaturated market. Um, but c- kind of what's been happening is these big dogs that are losing all of their sales, your, your Budweiser's and, and, uh, you know, the InBev's, the Coors Molson's, that sort of stuff. What they're starting to do is pick off the smaller brands that are, that are doing well and absorbing them. And so, uh, so, you know, like, uh, Magic Hat, Blue Moon, Goose Island, all those stuff that used to be craft beer, craft beer is now under a, a large big brewery label and and still, you know, marketed as as craft beer and such. So you, you're getting some condensation that way. Um, and but then the other thing that that he was saying was uh, a lot of people get into craft brewing these days for the wrong reasons, and they they see the market trends and they see the, the, the profit margins or whatever. And they say, Hey, this, this is a quick, get quick, get rich, quick scheme where all I got to do is open up a brewery and it'll be an instant hit and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so, uh, and so he, he was saying that a lot of, a lot of places will eventually fail if that's, if that's what they're, you know, if that's what they're pursuing is just a, a quick profit versus, brewing a really good beer and um so i think that's that's basically what's going to happen is you're going to get people trying to come in and into the industry for the wrong reasons and they're going to fail you're going to get people that are going to continue to come in for the right reasons and they're going to succeed um but it's definitely becoming a you know like a high-tech industry at, at the brewery um where I was working, I mean, they had more scientists than you could shake a stick at, and it was uh, it was a high tech operation. It what it, it, it's not a uh, you know it's it's uh, you know it's not always just a a guy with a with a little vat you know stirring it up and and bottling it himself in his garage. So it's it's becoming a really big business. So I, I you know. I don't know. I also saw something recently where craft spirits are becoming a lot bigger and craft wineries are becoming a lot bigger. So that's kind of cutting into the, the craft beer um, uh, marketplace as well. But I think ultimately you're basically what's happened is a, a generation of, of um, alcohol aficionados is being cultivated and you know, it's, it's good for, for the craft beer industry because the more people that are willing to be adventurous and try, you know, a new beer or a new style of beer or a new wine or a new drink, you know, that's, uh, that's going to help them overall. Yeah, I agree. Um, I also think we're, um, we're at the stage now where there's, and, and, one of the things that a lot of people don't know, but there's a lot of collaboration between 
breweries. You know, mm-hmm. they don't operate in a vacuum. Most of the owners are friends, hang out, mm-hmm. they make beers together, that kind of thing. But I really think we're getting to the stage of one-upmanship and trying to outdo one another with these, you know, off kind of things like, you know, uh, Tall Tales just did um, a candy kitchen fudge uh, oatmeal stout, um, mm. you know, which is, you know, who who would have thought, you know? I mean, um, it, it's a great idea, honestly. You know, one of my favorite beers is um, Sweet Baby Jesus, which is, you know, mm. chocolate and peanut butter. Mm. Um, you know, so I, I get it, but I also think, you know, we have, uh, you know, there's a Wawa coffee beer out there now. There's a Dunkin' Donuts coffee beer out there now. You know, we're getting to that stage where it, it's kind of – we're just going to, you know, take the kitchen sink and throw it a beer and see what sticks. And right. I don't know that that's, I don't know that's necessarily great for the industry. Um, mm-hmm. because these are, these are going to turn into one-off things. You know, one of the things that I like, um, about Dogfish Head is, you know, pretty much wherever you go anymore and, and even regionally to a point, but even nationally, you know, you go in and you get a Dogfish Head. You know, a lot of times places just put on the menu dogfish head. Well, you know that's most likely going to be a 60 minute or a 90 minute. Mm-hmm. And you, you know that that's a fallback. If you look through the menu, you know if there's nothing else on the menu that you like that. Right. I think we're getting away, I think we're going to get away from breweries having a flagship beer. I think they're mm-hmm. just going to, you know, like, you know, these Saturday releases that a lot of pe- places do. They release the beer one time, they come up with a recipe, and then they move on to the next thing. And I don't know, that doesn't really promote quality and the long-term mm-hmm. growth, I don't think. And that's just my opinion, and obviously, I'm not running right. these breweries and making money <laughs> that they are. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally see your point there. And it's, um, you know, on one hand, doing that sort of thing is good revenue generator, because if you're... You know, it's it's classic uh manufactured scarcity and that's kind of what Dogfish does with their one twenty, where they only do mm-hmm. one big release every year and people will come from miles around, states around just to just to get a case, you know, for and and take it home. So um so like you know, th- that's a good that's definitely a good way to, to drum up, you know internal sales, you know, once a week or ha- holding events like that. But like you're saying, I mean, it's, in my opinion, quality will always be paramount rather than, you know, oh, is this, you know, is this the, the beer with the most peppers in the world in it? Or, you know, is this the, the hoppiest beer ever? And, um, but it's also one of those things where it's tough because the the craft beer industry kind of got its name by by being a little funky and out there but you know 20 years ago putting rose hips in a beer was groundbreaking and nowadays it's like you know there's rose hips in probably 200 different beers out there and and so you got to like you're saying that spirit of one upsmanship is just uh it's it's tough but you've you know especially in uh breweries where they've created their brand name as being a a a funky new extreme sort of style that's that's what they're going to have to pursue 
Um, but, you know, in that same end, I think Dogfish has done a, a pretty good job of zigging when everybody's zagging where they used to be the, the heavy beers where it was like most of their releases were 12 to 20 percent. And I right. think now what they're doing is is going to the left a little bit or or to the right, whichever way the zag is, and they're starting to brew a lot of low calorie, low alcohol beer like sequence and stuff like that, so that you don't, um, which is still kind of funky. I mean, it's you know it's got salt water in it or whatnot and and limes and um, and it, it tastes good, but it's a it's still a a new take on on you know, a beer. So there's, I don't know. I, you know, I, I don't know what it is and, and I don't know the key to success necessarily. I wish I did cause I'd open up a brewery in Seaford. So, yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, you could be the, you could be the first brewery in Seaford. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and it's funny that you're talking about, you know, how they've changed and everything. And there was a brewery, um, that I heard a story about once and I thought that I, I think it's a great indication of, um, you know, what the craft breweries are doing now, what this guy had to do. And basically, there was a big, huge event um, put on by the local fire department every year, and Mm -hmm. they were the new brewery in town. They just opened, and they were like, here, take five or six of our kegs, knock yourself out. Well, that's kind of what happened. Um, because, you know, these guys, these guys are used to drinking, you know, the Bud Lights of the world and, you know, all, all of that. And, you know, people were getting sick and passing out and they weren't understanding that, you know, this was every time they picked up a cup, it was two and a half beers of what they were used to. Right. Um, so basically the fire company came back, brought the kegs back and said, thank you, but, yeah, don't give us any more. So by the next year, that brewery actually had a beer made just for that event, actually uh-huh. donated donated money to first responders from every beer sold of that, and that went on until they closed. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was one of their biggest sellers. And, yeah. you know, that just, shows, that just shows you have to adapt to your crowd, and I think that's what Dogfish Head is doing. Um, you know, the, mm-hmm. I think what you're saying is 100% right. It's one of the reasons that – Dogfish has, hasn't necessarily always been my favorite brewery. It's because you go in there to drink a beer and you look down the list and, you know, it isn't like you can have two of anything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's one and you're done, or at least for me, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, with that percentage kind of thing. Um, another quick story went into, um, TGI Fridays at one time and I said, you know, looked at the beer list, picked something. They didn't have it came back with and gave me another beer list, which was their newer beer list, and um, which I don't know why I didn't get that the first time. But um, So I, pick, I picked something at random. It was a dogfish head. And like what I said, you know, you expect you're going to get 60 or 90. Well, mm-hmm. I got Fort. They, they brought Fort back. And so, you know, it's in, a little, it's in a little teeny glass, and I'm like looking back at the menu, and I'm like, oh, man. And, I mean, it's good. It's good, but yeah. it's not like drink with dinner kind of thing. <laughs> right. You know, so it's just, you know, like I said, you, you have certain anticipations with breweries and everything. But I think long term, um, you know, things are going to change, obviously. You know, there are more, um, you know, the craft uh, d- 
distillers, like you said, making whiskey and vodka and small batches than what we've ever seen. And mm-hmm. I think that'll continue. So yeah. we're running, we're running a little over. I do want to, um, start to wrap up, but you know, okay. I, I, what I want you to do is just, you know, promote what you want to promote in the end and, you know, tell people where to find your stuff and when the next comedy thing is and anything you want to wrap up with. All right. Let me see. The, uh, our next comedy show is going to be March 24th, 10 PM at Rehoboth Ale House. Uh, which is in Rehoboth Beach off of Wilmington Avenue. Um, the show starts at 10 o'clock. If you want to perform, we always welcome anybody who wants to perform. We love it. There's no restrictions on content. Um, so come on out. The sign-up begins at 945. So if you're interested in performing, come out, and then uh, and then the show starts at 10. And uh, if you want to check out the uh, new calendar project that I've been working on, uh, you can go to our website, which is www.thenewcalendar.com. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's about that. Well, Tom, I appreciate you being on. And, um, you know, you've uh, been a, a great ally of mine over the past couple of years, um, you know, dealing yeah. with news and things like that. And I'm just uh, I'm really glad to have you on the show. Likewise. Well, I, I appreciate you having me on. And uh, yeah, anytime you want to talk, give me a call. I love it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Two on the Phone. Please follow us on Facebook, Two on the Phone. Also, please, for timely and accurate news and information, follow Shore News Beacon on Facebook.